As always, praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to see each of you here this morning. I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles once again. Let's go back to Galatians, uh, the fifth chapter, Galatians chapter five. Uh, this morning, what we are going to be doing is we are going to be continuing to take a look at the work of the Spirit of God as it's presented to us here in this fifth chapter of Galatians. We've really entered into a very important section of this epistle. And in one sense, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> in one sense, every aspect, every section of this epistle has very, very great significance. Uh, when we were in the beginning of the uh, book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul was uh, very strenuously, strenuously uh, guarding and protecting the gospel itself. If anyone preaches any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be a curse, whether, whether, whether myself or an angel. Again, if anybody preaches any other gospel than that which you have received, let him be a curse. And it reminds us of the significance and the importance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is only one hope for sinners in this world, and that's the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We must be clear on that, you see. You understand. And that saving gospel all centers on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is at work, again, because of what he has done on the cross, satisfying all the holy demands of God the Father, enduring all the penalty that our sins, my sin, your sin deserves, Jesus Christ bearing them that penalty for you and for me. It's on that basis that God the Father is able to declare us just in his sight. Remember, we use those words of justification and acquittal. That idea that we can't get away as we look at Scripture and as we think about God, we can't get away from the fact that God is a great judge. And God as a judge has now rendered a verdict on all those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And that verdict is one of not guilty. You have been justified in the sight of God. You have been counted as righteous in God's sight. And this, again, this idea, this, this reality of the gospel is a beautiful, beautiful reality. I hope it warms your heart. To know that as you stand before God this morning, you stand acquitted, free of all charges against you. Your conscience may, your conscience may convict you. Uh, your, your friends or so-called friends, your enemies may, may convict you. But God the Father has justified you. That's one of the great things that Paul talks about there in Romans 8. If, if, if God has accepted, if, if God has justified us, who can condemn us? Christ will not condemn you. He's the very one that died for you. And so the idea of justification is just so vitally important. But then what we've noticed as we've come into this fifth chapter is that Paul's emphasis is now moving, shifting, we might say, still dealing with salvation, but now moving, finding its center in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. That's, again, what Paul has been uh, talking about in, in this fifth chapter. That's what we've been emphasizing as we've been uh, taking a look at, the, uh, look at this in these past few weeks. We've been emphasizing the reality, again, where Paul says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is there one of us here today that don't know what that battle with the flesh is? Is there any of us here this morning that don't know what it's like to have to battle, again, these lusts of the flesh? And I'm going to say something that may be somewhat challenging. It may be coming into this idea somewhat, uh, backing into it, we might say. I would even say this. If you don't know what that struggle is, you have no idea of what the saving grace of God is. And the reason why I say that is because it's in the believer where this conflict takes place. It's in the believer where the great struggle with sin takes place. The unbeliever doesn't find these things. The unbeliever may feel an occasional pang of conscience because of what his friends may say or because of what his, how his social standing might be, uh, might be affected by way of an embarrassment. 
But the believer you see, the believer longs for and desires to be more and more like Christ. <clears throat> and again, that's the work of the Spirit of God. Amen. And so what we're going to do here this morning is we're going to take up, we're going to, we're going to introduce, we're just going to kind of hover over that passage of Scripture where the, the, where the Apostle Paul begins to speak about the works of the flesh. Now, as we come to this idea of the works of the flesh, we're going to see that Paul was bringing this together in order that we might understand what it is to walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. He's going to go on to speak about the fruit of the Spirit. And this is really going to dominate our thinking, certainly for this sermon and probably for two or three more. Uh, this idea of the contrast between the work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. But what I want to do here this morning, <clears throat> excuse me, what I want to do here this morning is I, want to, uh, is I want to give something of an overview and an introduction to the idea of the works of the flesh and what God has provided for us in order that we might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So with all that in mind, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5. And this morning, I'm going to read just verses 19 uh, through 21. And again, we're going to kind of take, as I said, an overview of this passage of Scripture. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Once again, hear the word of God. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a sobering passage of Scripture because it's one of those passages of Scripture <clears throat> that confront us with the, the, the reality of the, the deadliness of sin. Theologians have spoken about seven deadly sins, and what they mean by those seven deadly sins is, is that those sins form something of a, of a basis for all kind of other sins to grow from. <clears throat> Oftentimes they are called root sins. Sins that cause all other uh, uh, types of sin to spring up from them. Well, in one sense, Paul is, is, is laying before us here in this passage of Scripture one of these things that we see over and over again in the Word of God, which is a listing of those various sins that the Christian must struggle against and that the Christian must strive against and which God himself, through Jesus Christ and the ongoing work of the Spirit of God, has given us victory over. So this passage of scripture, verses 19 through 21, form for us what is known technically as a vice or a sin list, a vice list. It's interesting, we, we come across this idea a number of times in scripture, as I said before, and I think you're familiar with this because I think I've spoken about this in the past. This idea of a vice list, again, the listing of various types of sins all brought together in very short space. Uh, laid out before us, again, either by uh, the Apostle Paul, usually by the Apostle Paul, but in other places as well. These vice lists occur, are you ready for this, some 20 times in the New Testament. Over 20 times you have this, this listing of these various sins, and that's what you have here in this passage of Scripture. This is probably one of the more extensive uh, vice lists or sin lists in the Scripture. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at this idea of a, of a vice list. I want to take a look at the idea of what these works of the flesh are. And there are three primary things that I hope to do here this morning. I hope to, number one, inform you. I hope to, number two, warn you. And then, number three, I hope to persuade you. 
hope to inform you on, in a general way, what the works of the flesh are. We're not going to look in detail at every one of them, not this week. just want to give an overview. Again, because they fall into the category of these vice lists, and we see so many of them. And there's something I want you to be aware of. of so many times when we find vice lists mentioned in the New Testament, there's something that goes along with it. I want to bring that out in a minute. That'll be to inform. The next thing I want to do is to warn you. And the warning is kind of, you know, inherent in the text. I say again, as I told you before, that they which do such things, they which practice such things, such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a very, very severe warning given to, given to professing believers. And every professing believer will hear that warning and take it to heart. Every professing believer, again, will look at that list and hear the words and the warning of the Apostle Paul and examine his or her own conscience. But I want to, again, as I said, I want to inform, I want to warn. But the third thing I want to do is I want to persuade you. I want to persuade you to take up all the activity that you and I are called to in the word of God by way of holiness and by way of sanctification. And I hope to persuade you by showing to you that in this passage of scripture, we are reminded of the great love of God, yes, but the great love of the spirit of God specifically for each one of us here this morning. The Spirit of God loves you in such a way that he sanctifies you. The Spirit of God loves you in such a way that he conforms you to Christ. The Spirit of God loves you in such a way that he never departs from you, even though you or I may grieve him and may quench him at times. But the Spirit of God is that one who abides with us forever. Stop and think of what that love of the Spirit of God is. He comes and he indwells us. He indwells you and me. He indwells this heart. He indwells your heart. Have you ever honestly soberly and in light of scripture looked at what's in your heart or what's in my heart and the spirit of God chooses to dwell there that's love he doesn't say I can't stand this place anymore he can't say that the clutter is too much that the chaos is too much that the stench is too much I have to he doesn't say that the spirit of God loves you and in his love for you, he conforms you to Christ. In his love for you, out of that soil that I just mentioned, he grows this wonderful fruit of the Spirit that we'll see in the weeks to come. So I hope by God's grace again to inform. I hope by God's grace to warn. I hope by God's grace to persuade. Well, let's take a look then again at this idea of, these, uh, of this thing called a vice list. Now, again, uh, this, as I said before, a vice list, nothing really uh, hard or complicated to understand. It is basically just a listing of those sins that the Apostle Paul might be bringing together uh, within a short space, uh, usually because of some situation that is uh, current in the church that he is writing to. And so, again, here in Galatians, he is saying to these Galatian believers, listen, there are certain sins, there are certain, uh, there are certain actions, uh, certain things that manifest themselves, again, that, that do your soul no good, and you must be aware of them. Now when it comes to these uh, these vice lists, one of the things that I want you to see is that so oftentimes we are we are reminded again of the fact that if we are doing these things and that little word do that little uh, verb doing is very important because what the apostle Paul is not talking about he's not talking about sins that we may fall into or sins that we may be overcome by or sins that may challenge us or sins that we may find to be a constant struggle with he's not so much talking about that just look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, ye that are spiritual, if a, if a man is overtaken in a fault, 
And the idea here is this, that man is not willingly or purposely living in a sin. He's overtaken by a fault. Sin and temptation and, and weakness of soul and spirit have gotten the best of him. And he's fallen into some sin. And so Paul is not talking about those, those times when, when we fall into sin. Paul is talking about those individuals who are under this kind of this, this kind of bewildering idea that we can profess to be the followers of Christ and live in no way that he commands us to live. We remember, we're reminded of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and, and do not the things that I say? The Lord Jesus Christ again calls us to a certain way of living. The Spirit of God works in us to, to conform us to that. But one of the things that's interesting is that at least in two, maybe three places at the very least, whenever these vice lists are put forward, they're put forward in contrast to the transforming grace of God. One of the most famous, again, is, is in, uh, not only here in, um, in, in, in uh, Galatians chapter 5, but one of the most well-known <clears throat> is that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 9 through 11. We've made reference to this uh, passage many times uh, over the years here because they speak so directly to our culture by way of its sins. <clears throat> and notice what the, what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. He goes on to say this, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And you know the next passage. I hope you know it. I hope you know it reflexively. I hope you know it on the spot, as it were. I hope you know it so that whenever you're, 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 you're somebody that you're dealing with and, and, you're, and you're bringing out what the scripture refers to as sin or calls sin, I hope you know verse 11, again, as I said, reflexively. But such were some of you. And again, these sins are not damning in the sense that there is no hope and no chance. All who repent of any sin can come to believe savingly on Jesus Christ and be forever secure in his love. But such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, the work of Christ for you on the cross, the work of the Spirit in you, transforming you. Do you know these realities? Not merely, again, if I can say it this way, not merely, and I hope you do have a, a sound theological structure to know and to understand objectively something happened on your behalf, and that was Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He was bearing your sin. I hope and I pray that when you, when you, if I can say it this way, when in your mind you see Christ hanging on the cross and you bring yourself back to that moment, you would have not have been like the people on that day that just walked by and thought to yourself, well, I wonder what happened there. I wonder what happened to those three people. No, no, not, that's not how you look at the, at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. You understand that there was the Son of God dying for you. Objectively, that happened. The work of Christ for you. But did you see in this passage of scripture as well? Uh, you are justified in the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. 
the work of Jesus Christ objectively for you, the work of the Spirit of God subjectively in you. Oh, do you know, again, the, the work of the Spirit of God can form you more to Christ, more and more to Christ. Do you know what it is? And we're going to see this here in uh, verse 17 of, of Galatians chapter 5. Do you know what it is to have the Spirit, again, working against your old sinful nature in order to bring you more to conformity with Christ? Again, that's the, that's the subjective spirit or work of the Spirit of God. Another passage, again, that contains one of these vice lists is from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. And I'll read it uh, slowly. You can turn there, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. But again, just like the Corinthians passage, the apostle makes a great transition at the end. Excuse me. Notice what we have here in Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 10. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us. And hath given himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Did somebody mention just recently the objective work of Jesus Christ for us? You see it there? Verse, four, verse 3, here's our list. But fornication and uncleanness and, or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. For you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Now listen to verse 9. But ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the world. Light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is, the, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. What do we see here? Again, we see this idea, this, this vice list. But again, we're reminded, aren't we, that that's what we once were. And now what we are called to do is we are called to walk in a way that is consistent with the holy calling that's been given to us. And so again, when we see these vice lists, very important. I want you to understand. I want you to know they occur in a number of places in Scripture. But have your eyes open. Have your ears open for those places where you see the contrast. That's what you once were. And I want to address each of you here this morning. That's what you once were, you see. That's what I once was. And isn't this why the grace of God is so amazing to us? We know ourselves, don't we? Others see us again, maybe at our best. Sometimes they catch us, you know, it's like, oh man, I'm so embarrassed. I said such and such a thing. I, I acted in such and such a way. But again, we know ourselves. And yet what is true about us is that the work of Jesus Christ objectively saves us. It breaks the power of sin. And then subjectively, the Spirit of God works within us and conforms us more and more to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so again... When we see this passage of scripture here in Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse, uh, verses 19 through 21, once again, we are confronted uh, with that uh, reality of uh, these works of the flesh. Now, it's interesting that when we, and again, this is just an overview of the works of the flesh here. When we take a look at the works of the flesh here, one of the things that we see in this, in this passage of scripture, in this list of 15 sins, is that some of the sins are what we might call sensual sins. Some of the sins are what we would call sensual or fleshly sins. Other sins, they're not so fleshly. They're not so sensual. Uh, some of these sins, again, are, are, are religious sins. There's idolatry that's mentioned. Some of these sins are social sins. They're the sins that we might commit one against another. Some of these other sins are attitudinal sins or sins of the mind. And so we see that the works of the flesh because of what the word flesh means in the New Testament, are not just things that, that kind of correspond to our quote-unquote fleshly nature. But again, 
by way of the flesh, the flesh is everything in its fallenness that gives expression to sin and all of its variation. That's really what the flesh is. We know sometimes the word flesh is used to, to refer to, again, that, that substance that covers our body. We understand that. We know sometimes the, the word flesh is used to refer to humanity, all flesh. Uh, we, we understand that. There are other ways in which the word flesh is used. But so oftentimes when it comes to these, to these, uh, to these passages that deal with our, with our holiness or sanctification and, and the reality of sin, the word flesh is used, again, by way of that connotation of everything that is antagonistic to God that's in us because of our fallenness and because of our fallen nature. And so because the flesh has both a sensual side to it, we might say, and a, and a non-sensual, maybe that's the way to say it, uh, the idea of an attitude the idea of uh, those sins of attitude, those sins of mind and thought. Because that's the case, this is why the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, I love this passage of Scripture, I really do. Therefore, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all filth of the flesh and of the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The, the main point that I'm trying to emphasize here right now is that there are sins of the flesh and there are sins of the spirit. But did you notice how Paul came into this passage of Scripture? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, go back to you know chapter 6, I will be a father to them and, and you know, I will be their God and they will be my children, those, pro those beautiful promises. But you notice that he says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, have you ever realized that those who call you to holiness the most are the ones who love you the best. Those who call you to holiness the most. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves of all filth of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And so again, the works of the flesh, as I said before, are manifest. One of the things that we also have to understand about the works of the flesh is that the works of the flesh, again, the expression of our of our of our fallen nature, the the, the expression of our of our of our alienation from God, the expression of 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 life centered on self. One of the things we have to understand is that while the flesh is very central to the whole understanding of what sin is all about, there is a reality that goes even deeper than the flesh, and our Lord Jesus Christ brings this out. And believe it or not, another passage that would be that would qualify as a vice list. And we see this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. It's a short vice list, but it's a vice list nonetheless. You know the passage. You can turn there if you want. I'm sorry, I said Matthew 15, 21. It's Matthew 15, verse 19. And Jesus says this. You all know the passage. For out of the heart proceeded evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. You see the vice list. And where do these things spring from? What is the origin of these things? What is the fountain? What is the source of these things? It's our own wicked, wicked heart. Do you understand then why the Bible says, get you a new heart? Do you understand then why it is so important that by way of the new covenant, God gives to us a new heart? Do you understand then why it is so important that through the work of the Spirit of God, regeneration takes place? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Behold, all things, all things are passed away. All things become new. Do you understand, again, the importance of this? And again, how does this all take place? It's through that, it's, it's through that, it's through, it's through that realization that we cannot, we cannot save, we cannot do anything to save ourselves. If we are to be saved, it is Christ who must save us. No one else can. Who else died for you? Who else died for you? Who shed their blood for you? 
No one. But Jesus Christ did you see. And so again, in this passage and many passages like it, what we find is that this saving work of Jesus Christ is essential. But when we talk about the flesh and the works of the flesh that we're going to get into in weeks to come here, we have to remember there's something even deeper, and it's the matter of the heart. And so I ask the question, again, not probably no visitors here this morning, right? We're all, we, this is Nosset Baptist Church right here this morning, right? And I think I know you all well enough, but I'm going to press you with this question. Do you have a new heart this morning? Has conversion genuinely taken place? Have you seen your heart for what it is? And have you been moved to Jesus Christ coming to the cross and receiving him by faith? Why do I say this? Because out of the heart, if our hearts are unchanged, our situation is dire. And so again, that's to inform you concerning the works of the flesh. In weeks to come, we're going to take up the particulars. We're going to see that Paul is maybe not by way of strict design, but just by way of his listing of sins. There's probably some categories that he's using here. I don't think he's being overtly categorical. He's just kind of bringing out a number of of different sins and in the different ways that they show themselves. We'll pick that up next week. Again, that is to inform. The next thing I want to do is I want to warn you. And I want to warn you, again, based on what the text itself is saying. You see what it says there in verse 21, Paul says. Again, um, where he says to, in the second half of the verse, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you notice when we were reading those other vice lists how very similar they sounded? The Apostle Paul, again, you remember there in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 9 through 11, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Notice what he says, be not deceived. He said, look, don't let people come to you with a, with a form of teaching that says that you can go on un unimpeded or unhindered in your sin and to think that somehow a work of grace has been done in your heart. Don't be deceived at this, he says. The Apostle Paul, again, I think it was there in, the, in Ephesians chapter 5. He see, I, I believe he said this, uh, the, the same thing. He goes on to say this in verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. Because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. And the point that I want you to see is this. The warning that has to be given is this. Is that those sins, if these sins of the flesh are not, again, what, and I even hate to say it this way, I'll say it this way, though, if, 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 if these sins of the flesh, uh, if, they're, if they're not mere occasional lapses, if they're not the exception rather than the rule, something very, very serious is going on. And again, if I could say it this way, that's why Paul says, again, going back to 2 Corinthians, now chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul says, Prove yourselves whether or not ye be in the faith. Know ye not that Christ be in you, except ye be reprobate. Or, and again, the word reprobate, old King James word, kind of in, in the modern sense of the word, it means unless you fail the test. And what is the test, if I can say it that way? It's the test of the reality, the transforming work of God in your soul. Is it taking place? None of us are perfect yet. We know that. But are there more and more of these desires to be like Christ? Are you more and more able to not only understand, but to sense by way of experience the work of the Spirit of God, checking every motion towards sin? And so that if you or I sin, we have to do it, if I can 
Say it this way. It kills me to say it. We have to do it stepping over or ignoring the light, ignoring the light that we have and stepping over the work of the Spirit of God, grieving, quenching. You see, again, this work of the Spirit of God within us. And so the Apostle Paul warns. And did you see how he warned there? Where he says this, uh, as we go on, where he says this in verse 21 again, he says again, um, uh, here, uh, as I have also told you in times, uh, as I, uh, 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 um, I'm sorry, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past. In other words, look, I've told you this before, and I'm going to tell it to you again. I'm not going to leave off this. I'm going to keep reminding you that there are certain sins that reveal the, 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 the status, the, the character of your soul. And if these sins are, are continually found in your lives, you must examine, you must see whether or not the grace of God is operative within you. Now, one of the things that's interesting and challenging about the Christian life is essentially this, that sadly believers can, can fall into grave sin at times. Believers can be waylaid for a period of time where we may be wondering what is going on there. We ask ourselves the question, how could David conduct himself un, un, unhindered during that whole time where he had been guilty of sin against Bathsheba, uh, against Bathsheba and, and against uh, Uriah? How could these things happen? And I want, I'm saying this again just to make you aware of the fact that this is a real battle that we have with sin. And so because it is such a battle, and because it is such a reality that all of us, I think, know. Do you know, like what the, what, what the, what the writer of Hebrews says, do you know the sin which so easily besets you? I think I know the sins that easily beset me. And let me say this, besetting sins are not the only sins. And let me also say this, if you have any experience, and I'm trusting that each of, you, that each of us does, if we have any experience with combating sin, we know that our besetting sin isn't the only sin we have to worry about. Have you ever been very circumspect about certain besetting sins that you know you're just inclined to? And then somehow, some way, another sin comes across the bow and is like, where did that come from? It's what happens. Why? Because your enemy, your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil are not one-dimensional. You're not... <laughs> You're not just hitting a punching bag in the gym. You're engaged in a life and death struggle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. You know the passage. And what I want you to see and what I want you to understand is this, is that this approach to sin, yes, we must, we must be aware of besetting sins. We must be aware of all sins. We, that's why the Apostle Paul tells us to walk according to the light, to walk circumspectly. And so again, in this passage, what we have, or in this sermon, I should say, we have, again, a, a, a point of information, what these vice lists are like in the, in, the, in the text of Scripture, what the flesh is and what the works of the flesh are. And we also have a, a warning here, and that warning is, once again, don't be deceived. If our lives are marked by these sins, again, and let me say this, can I be pastoral here? If some of these sins are a challenge to you, can I come and pray with you? Can I walk alongside you in these things? Can I be a resource to you? Can one another be that for, 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 for what's happening here in the congregation? Could you go to a, a brother or sister in Christ here? 
and say, brother, look, I've not said this to anybody. Or sister, listen, I've not said this to anybody, but do you understand? Will you pray for me in this? Can I call you when, when temptation seems to be as, as, as real as anything? Can I call you then? And none of you will say, come on, you know how busy I am? You know the things I got? And none of you will say that. And so may we, by way of the Spirit, by way of the grace of God and by the Spirit of God, take this up. And so again, here is this passage of Scripture that informs us. Or I should say this, this sermon where I'm trying to inform this passage of Scripture that warns us. But there's something else I must do with this passage of Scripture. And I must persuade you. I must persuade you to take up this great fight. I must persuade you by way of the grace of God to take up the work of holiness and sanctification. And the way that I want to persuade you is not by throwing you back on yourself. I want you to take a look at what this passage of Scripture tells us about the Spirit of God. This passage of Scripture is all about the Spirit of God on our behalf, isn't it? That's why the Apostle Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Do you see the direct connection there? When we walk by means of the Spirit, when we walk empowered by the Spirit of God, the thing that we will not be doing is we will, we will not be fulfilling the lust of the flesh. And there are a number of reasons for that. The one reason is this, we will have our minds set on the things of the Spirit. And how much of our sin takes place in our minds? How much of our sin originates in thought before it springs out in action? Probably most sin. There may, be, there, may, there, may, there may be those sins that just, just like out of the blue surprise you as much as they would surprise anybody else. But most of the time, sin begins in the mind and in the heart. Again, this is exactly what, the, what the James says there in his epistle. Again, when he talks about temptation, you know, springing up within us. And then sin, when it brings forth, you know, when it springs forth, brings forth death. That whole process of, of sin that James speaks about there. But I must persuade you. And the persuasion here is not in your ability or in my ability, although you and I are called to act in accordance with the ability that God gives to us. The great assistance here is in the work of the Spirit of God. Again, Paul says there in verse 16, walk in the Spirit and fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, for the, lust, for the flesh lust against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and is a contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, I didn't cover that passage of Scripture in any detail when we worked through verses 16 through 18. It's one of those points that I said that it's worthy of a sermon in and of itself. I just want to pick this up again. That that passage of Scripture there in verse 17, where the Spirit of God is antagonistic against the work of the flesh. So the conflict that's going on there is not merely... The new nature and the old nature, what Paul says in one place, the old man and the new man, there's a conflict there. Paul says, put on the new man. You remember, put off the old man, put on the new man. The conflict in verse 17 is even more significant than that. The conflict is the activity of the Spirit of God acting against all the motions and motivations of the work of the flesh within me. And so the Spirit of God now is the active agent enlisting all of our renewed facilities or faculties in order that we might walk in the Spirit. 
And what I want you to see and understand by this is that as I was, as I was working out this passage of Scripture and I was coming to this uh, last point, is, is okay, we have, the, we have the conflict in front of us, uh, uh, the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And again, it's not just to be descriptive in a sermon like this. We have to, we have to move. We have to persuade, if I can say it that way. One the, how, can we pers- how can we be persuaded, again, not to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Well, we're persuaded, by all of our, we're, we're persuaded by all of our obedience to God by way of his love for us. And by way of a return of love to him. And I was thinking to myself, oh, again, in this passage of scripture, what motivates us to, to not live according to the flesh? It's the love of God for us. Amen. Yes, it's that passage that God so loved the world. You remember how many times I've said, put your name there instead of the world. God so loved you. Put your name in there. That he gave his only begotten son. So it's the love of God for you. It's the love of Christ for you. Again, Christ. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I thought to myself, because of, you know, just the, the tendency to think in these Trinitarian uh, categories, the love of the Father, the love of the Son, and there's the love of the Spirit. And I thought to myself, well, the love of the Spirit, yeah, I mean, obviously that's true. God is love, and if, and if God loves me, the, the Holy Spirit loves me, we know that. But, but where, is the, where is the text that, that says that? Where is the, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm not, I'm not aware of a couple of texts that are, that are, that are in, the, in the New Testament at the time. And I'm thinking that, and I said, well, okay, well, maybe this is one of these things where we see love, not so much by way of a direct expression verbally, but maybe we are seeing love by way of action. And love is like that, isn't it? Go back to 1 Corinthians 13. It's all, you know, love shows itself in its actions. I'm thinking, well, this, yeah, that, that, I mean, that works. The Spirit of God loves me because he is forming Christ in me. The Spirit of God loves me because he is sanctifying me. The Spirit of God loves me because, again, he is, he is working within my soul to enable me to say no to sin. So we understand that, that the Spirit of God loves because of that. But there are two passages that do bring out the love of the Spirit of God for us. The first passage is in Romans 15, verse 30. And the Apostle Paul says, he says, I beseech you by the love of the Spirit... Join together with me in your prayers. I beseech you by the love of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, again, loves you in that passage of Scripture. The other passage of Scripture is in James chapter 4, verse 5, where, the, where James says, again, well, let's turn there. And what's interesting about this passage of Scripture is that there are very few translations that really capture what a number of commentators bring out. Now, I say this with a little bit of reservation because, again, we have to stick with it. You know, I'm... We have to stick with the uh, with what the text of Scripture says. We can't be manufacturing things out of the, out of the text. But I just want to point something out to you here. So in James chapter four, verse five, James says this. He says, "Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy?" Well, whatever challenges there are in King James, you know, normally or kind of exacerbated in this verse. It's a very difficult verse to, to understand as we read it at the surface. And what's interesting is that what, what seems to be being expressed here is that that word lust should be understood not in its negative connotation, but in its more kind of neutral connotation of a strong desire. And the emphasis here is on that strong desire that the Spirit of God has within the believer for the believer's fidelity and faithfulness to Christ. Look at verse 4, ye adulterers and adulterers, know ye not that friendship with the world is enemy. And again, the context now is spiritual unfaithfulness. 
And the idea in this passage is that the Spirit of God now is expressing this godly jealousy for the soul of the believer who may be in the process of being seduced away from Christ. And that strong desire, that jealousy, that godly jealousy, if I can say it that way, is a reflection of the love of the Spirit of God for you and the love of the Spirit of God for me. And the Spirit loves you with such a zealous love that anything that steals the heart from Christ, he, is, he works against. And what I want you to know then is this by way of declaration, by way of the activity of the Spirit of God, and by way of the Scripture itself and its, and its declaration, the Spirit of God loves you in such a way that he is determined to produce fruit within you that will reflect and manifest the glory of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God then is not only your great agent assisting you and empowering you, he is the great lover of your soul who in his love for you, and we have to say it this way, and in his love for the Father, regenerated your soul when you heard the gospel came to take a permanent a permanent residence in your soul by way of his indwelling, continues to strive against sin and wickedness and the works of the flesh within you, and it was promised by way of the work of Christ never to leave you. You see, remember what our Lord Jesus said in John 14? He says, I will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. And all my failings, the Spirit of God will not depart from me. In all my failings, the Spirit of God will not say, I'm done with this guy. In all my failings, the Spirit of God will say, how long do I have to do this? I'm done. And I want you to know and understand that this truth has to be conjoined with the previous truth that we were given by way of warning so that when we are warned against the works of the flesh, do you understand now what the point that we have to see is this. A genuine work of the Spirit of God is an ongoing work. And you and I must never take a lackadaisical attitude towards sin. But we must always, by way of the work of the Spirit within us, and by way of that love of Christ for us, and our love for Christ, and our love for the triune God, we must always be coming back to that place where if repentance is needed, that's exactly what we are going to do. And so when we come to this idea then, of persuading you to not walk according to the flesh, but to walk according to the Spirit. The most significant persuasion that I can give you here this morning is this. The Spirit of God loves you and is moved with jealousy over everything that would steal your heart away from Christ. That's the kind of love that the Spirit of God has for you. The Spirit of God loved you enough to regenerate you. When there you were in your sins, again, that great passage in Romans 5, verses 8 through 10, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he applied, again, the saving work of Christ to your soul. The Spirit of God, as I said before, loves you enough to indwell you. He loves you enough to conform you to Christ. And he loves you enough to abide with you forever. I hope and I pray that by way of the grace of God, that through this overview of what the works of the flesh are, and this overview, overview and reminder of the great work of the Spirit of God in you and for you, that you and I will take up again 
our resistance against these works of the flesh which so easily manifest themselves. May we see that ongoing work of the Spirit of God cultivating the fruit of the Spirit within us. Well, next week, by God's grace, we're going to take a look at the particulars of the, fruit, of the work of, of the flesh, and then we'll see the fruit of the Spirit. Well, let's pray. Our Father and our God, I do pray, Lord, that this sermon would have been more than just information and warning, but I pray, Lord, that it would have been genuinely, genuinely persuasive, Lord God, that we might take up by way of the work of your Spirit within us, Father, everything that it means, Lord God, to see that Christ-like fruit developed within us. Father, do these things, we pray. Be glorified in them, we pray. And in all of our striving and struggling against sin, we ask and we pray, Lord God, remind us in the very depth of our souls of the promise of Jesus Christ never to leave us nor forsake us, and of the promise of Jesus Christ by giving the Spirit that he shall abide with us forever. Do these things, we pray, Father, until we see our Savior face to face. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.